0: Guys, welcome back to another episode of Have You Not Heard? I am Angel H. Davis, and today we're going to look at standing in faith during our times. How do we stand in faith, hope, and love and be obedient to God's word? And this episode is inspired and in dedication to my good friend Miss Jean At the ripe old age of 91, passed away recently, and when I asked her, Jean, what are your last words for us, having lived a faith-filled life for 91 years? And she looked at me and she said, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's how we stand in this chaotic, confusing, discombobulating time where truths are changing minute to minute. People's opinions are changing minute to minute. Things are changing in our lives minute to minute. It seems like um, this is how we stand. Miss Jean had been through so much in her 91 years and she had made it simply profound. And so we're going to just look at that for a few minutes together today. How do we keep standing? How do we, as a church, the large church called the Ecclesia in the Bible, how do we deal with this time that has been very purging and purifying and purging? It can be messy and it's not a lot of fun for me anyway, but it brings breathing space and rest and purifying takes heat and fire is hot and it hurts yet in the right hand, it has great purpose and provides beauty. So this is opportunity as things that are being shaken are being shaken, um, within ourselves, within our families, within our communities and our churches and transition is painful and it's hard and it's messy. And sometimes it takes longer than we like. But I use the birth analogy again, just like birthing new life, birthing a literal baby, the purification, the purging, the difficulty, the transition is all in God's hand made to bring new life to us and to others. So let's partner with him as Miss Jean leads us simply, profoundly, to keep our eyes on Jesus. You know, one of the scriptures God brought me to when I thought about that was the Hebrews 12, one through 3, running our race, throwing off sin, and basically keeping our eyes on Jesus. But it starts out at the end of um, Hebrews 11, talking about because we have this great cloud of witnesses on our side, we can have, you know, the courage, the energy, things we need through the Holy Spirit and knowing that there's been so many greats that have gone before us. And Miss Jean is now one of my cloud of witnesses. Um, and I'm sure you have many, but the, the Bible in Hebrews 11 talks about, it's kind of the hall of faith, so to speak that we have all those people to also learn from and lean into and gain strength from. But here's the deal. Have you read those names lately? You know, if we break it down that we had a murderer, we had, you know, doubters, we had liars, we had prostitutes, we had cowards, we had a drunkard and the list goes on. We had a braggart. So like us, sinful men and women and yet redeemed through God. And what he saw was their faith. Their faith is what stood the test of time. And that brings me to that 1 Corinthians 13, 13, that faith, hope, and love remain. You know, it was kind of funny that, or not funny, but looking back, um, seeing it as poignant, I guess, is the right word that that became my hashtag when COVID hit, faith, hope, and love remain. And I hadn't really thought too much about it, but I have begun pondering, Lord, why did you have that be the thing? And so what does it mean that it remains? And what does that mean that it's eternal? Um, But I still don't, again, have all the answers, but I've come to understand more that it's the bedrock of what we can run the race in. So it's kind of like lanes of our race. If we are running a race and we're going for the prize, which is Jesus Christ, and we are trying to do that as best we can and become more like Christ along the journey, because that's the goal, then faith, hope, and love can be our guidelines, our kind of lane that we stay in. Um, and everything spawns from love, God's agape love, his unconditional, undeserved, um, can't change it, love for us. And then that faith and hope is naturally spawns from that. But it's a journey, a journey of learning. Listen to one of the commentaries I read when I was looking up Hebrews 3. And this is just talking about Abraham, our father of faith, right? It says, when we look at the events of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the sons of Jacob, we find in this one family, a case study in both faithfulness and unfaithfulness, in love, and betrayal, in greed and generosity, in patience and lack of patience. I could go on, but you should be able to see the pattern that within the family of the man that we point to and say, we are the children of Abraham through faith. We can find both extremes of righteousness and unrighteousness. In these four generations, 40 chapters and 45 pages, we can find examples of everything that is good and bad in the human experience. Over and over through the lives of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, we find example after example of powerful faith and disastrous unbelief. The faithfulness establishes a nation that changed the world, preserved the oracles of God, and ultimately, through this family's genealogy, the Messiah, Jesus, was born. Through their unfaithfulness, we see broken homes, unfaithful marriages, sibling rivalry, deception, and sins too many to list in this article. So if we see the family of Abraham, the father of our faith, as so flawed, Why is so much of the Bible written about them and their lives? I believe this commentator said it is because the Bible was written for people like you and me, people who live lives that many times swing a pendulum between great, unwavering faith in God and his promises. And at the other extreme, fear and doubt, which causes us to fail miserably and quite often hurt the very people we love the most. I believe so much space is written about this family because they, in a real way, are our families and our congregations. The story of Abraham and his sons and their families is not a story of hypocrisy, it's a story of humanity. But more than that, much more than that, they were written to show us clearly that God's faithfulness, love, and forgiveness does not end with our failures. Can we all say amen together and breathe in that breath of life that all of this does not hinge on us being perfect. It just hinges on us hooking our faith to God's faithfulness, to who he is. And we're not alone. And this craziness we're going through is not new news to God. Maybe the issues have changed, but humanity sure hasn't changed. Sinful nature of humanity sure hasn't changed. And the the fall and the the destruction from our sin um, continues. And God knows how to handle it. So we keep on running our race of faith by keeping our eyes on Jesus. It's the key to life. It's the key to life. It's so easy. It's hard. So, you know, I also think of, um, Peter walking on water, uh, that scripture in Matthew 14, 22 through 33, I think most of you guys have read it. If not, go read it. You know, Peter is looking at Jesus. He, um, He says, if you are, if you are Jesus, will you call me out? So he called him out and Peter's looking at Jesus. And as long as he does, he can do something beyond his ability. He was walking on water. But as soon as he looked at his circumstances, he looked at what was going on in his reality. He, he began sinking. So as long as we keep our eyes on Jesus, we can accomplish things, do things that we cannot do in our own strength, and our own power, and we can stay above the waves of life, so to speak. So my mind also went to Isaiah 50, verse 7, and it's a verse that talks about setting your face like flint. And so the image God gave me of that, it talks about not looking to the left or to the right. And so I got an image of an elite racehorse that has those blinders on, you know, their eyes to keep that horse from just look, it looks straight forward. So it, it allows the horse to focus on where they're going, where they're running and finishing the race and not getting distracted by all the other horses, all the fans, all the other things going on. So we're to keep our eyes on Jesus, our eyes set like flint. And perhaps another scripture might run through your mind, or a couple of them about focusing on the prize, on Christ, Hebrews 12, we've already talked about, Philippians 3, 14 talks about that. So there's many more scriptures, but those are just a few. So how do we do that? How do we actually flush that out in real life, day to day? And again, in in honoring about the simply profound, four things came to me. One, obedience. Two, having faith. Three, hanging on to hope. And then four, above all else, love. And so let's unpack those. So number one, obedience again, I heard the Lord speak recently, obedience above all else, period. So what are we obedient to? We're obedient to Jesus and the word. I heard a great man of faith pray recently this statement, we exalt your word in equality with your name. Isn't that awesome? So his name and the word are synonymous, and we can hang our hat, so to speak, on that. And that's so important these days as a lot of people are trying to adapt God's word to the culture. And instead of we're supposed to look at God's word, the culture through God's word, and it's a big difference depending on what starting point. Because if we're looking at the culture first in God's word, then we're tempted to rewrite it, so to speak, to think about it through a different lens than um, what God intended. I think of Psalm 119 um, when I think about God's word, because it's a psalm glorifying God and it refers to scripture over and over again. Here's um, again a commentary I read about it. And it says, Psalm 119 is remarkable for how often it refers to God's written revelation, his word. It is referred to in almost every verse, and it's the longest chapter in the Bible. Matthew Henry, the great 18th century Bible commentator, was introduced to Psalm 119 as a child. His father, Philip Henry, told his children to take one verse A Psalm 119 every morning to meditate on and thereby go through the entire Psalm twice in the year. Philip said to his children, That will bring you to be in love with all the rest of the scriptures. Isn't that a great exercise? I actually started it this morning. So here are a couple of verses from Psalm 19. Verse 47 How I delight in your commands, how I love them. Verse 48, I honor and love your commands. I meditate on your decrees. Verse 129, your laws are wonderful. No wonder I obey them. 143, as pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in your commands. Verse 144, your laws are always right. Help me to understand them so I may live. His word brings life to us. So by being obedient to his word, then life comes to us. And again, remember, everything spawns from his agape love. And so when he's giving us commands and decrees and laws is to keep us healthy, to keep us safe, to keep us in our lane, so to speak, of things that will bring life and life abundant to us. The world wants to tell us he's a cruel God, he's limiting, he's all those negative things, but like a good father, a good parent, he's giving us boundaries to live in and play in to be healthy and safe. So we choose to believe that we choose to obey that. And that's one way we keep our eyes on Jesus. So number two, we hang on to faith, faith, hope, and love. So just a general commentary about that scripture. Um, First, it says, Paul tailors the triad of faith, hope, and love to fit the community he addresses. For example, in the letter of 1 Thessalonians, the triad appears twice. In both instances, the order Paul rehearses is faith, love, and hope. And it's because the Thessalonian church was struggling with hope. They were excelling in faith and love, but struggling with hope. So, Paul underscores the primacy of love in 1 Corinthians 13 because it is a spiritual resource that Corinthians lack most. Paul describes the work of love in both positive and negative terms. On the positive side, Paul says love is patient, kind, selfless. It involves truth telling, fortitude, consistency, and tolerance. In terms of what love is not, Paul says it is not self-seeking, short-tempered, or offensive. In other words, love does not hurt people. It does not damage prospects for authentic community. Love does not impede affirmation of another's humanity. Love is the only means by which believers have a chance to live fully in the knowledge and fellowship of God. All all other spiritual gifts and human achievements provide limited access to that reality. So breaking this down, faith, hope, and love, we hang on to faith and we hook it on to Jesus, what he's done for us, his finished works, and God's faithfulness. And the word tells us about that. Throughout history, we look at that. We can look at our own personal histories, look at somebody like Miss Jean's life and her history, and then we look at the Bible and the history there. We have something greater, though, than those uh, believers in the Bible, Hebrews 1140. It said that um, there was, by faith they understood um, there was something better, and we have that. And we have the finished works of Christ and faith in him. And what he's done is substance. It's a thing to hold on to. I don't know if you're like me, but you've had times that are so excruciatingly painful, either physically, mentally, emotionally, and you hang on to scripture. Like it's a lifeline. Uh, We can do that. It becomes substance in our soul and hope. What do we hope in? And I go back to that that phrase God gave me in the dream, hope is to the soul as water is to the body. We need hope. It's essential. So about 60% of our bodies are made of water. And uh, some people have more than that, but that's the average. And it's also a vital nutrient in every cell of our body. Can you imagine that? So it's like a building block in our body. And I think about, I think it's 1 Corinthians 15, 19. I'll put it in the show notes. But um, where hope is an anchor for our souls, so it anchors us. It's a building block for us. It's a thing we hold on to. Biblical hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised, and its strength is in his faithfulness. We hope in the Trinity, the finished works of Christ. We hope in the fullness of our salvation that we experience here partially and in heaven fully. Listen to 1 Peter 3, 13 through 16. So then prepare your hearts and minds for action. Stay alert and fix fix your hope firmly on the marvelous grace that is coming to you. For when Jesus Christ is unveiled, a greater measure of grace will be released to you. As God's obedient children, never again shape your lives by the desires that you followed when you didn't know better. Instead, shape your lives to become like the Holy One who called you. For Scripture says, you are to be holy because I am holy. His word does not fail. When we fill our minds with his word, we have hope. So again, these things build on each other. Some more verses from Psalm 119. Verse 43, do not snatch your word of truth from me, for your regulations are my only hope. 116, Lord, sustain me as you promise that I may live. Do not let my hope be crushed. Isn't that amazing? And then love. It hinges all on love. So we love above all else. But this is God's agape love, not our human love. We have to receive it first. We have to know our true identity as his son or daughter. And if we're not convinced of God's unconditional love for us, something that can't be taken away, we can't earn it. We can't lose it. It's just there. It's like air we breathe. It's there. Then that's our work to do today. I Don't hesitate another moment. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. One more minute. Trust and believe. And obey God's word. He says you are his beloved. You are his chosen son or daughter. He chose you, knitted you in your mother's womb for purpose and relationship with him. First, and then with others. So, if you believe in Christ as your savior, you are adopted in and you are a son and daughter and you are deeply loved. Whether you believe in Christ or not, you're deeply loved. But we don't get the benefits of that, the full benefits, unless we truly believe and we read his word and we understand it. So, I think I've used this example before, but I'll use it again. It's like a a money in a bank. And if we don't go withdraw it, If we don't know the number or the code or whatever to get into the safe, we can't access it. So the word, um, the written word, the truth about God, his love for us, understanding what that means and what the Bible means, not what we impose on the Bible, then brings this to life. And it is a love letter from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. So it's his love that needs to invade our culture. Whatever, whomever you're dealing with, are you allowing God's love to flow in you first and then flow out of you so you can be a solution to our hurting world's problems? Because we do need to talk about issues and talk through differences um, because we don't want surface unity. We want really deep uh, unity that's based on relationships. But we got to ask God to search our hearts and minds first, and then we can allow His love to throw flow through us. And I was just convicted by a fellow uh, believer on on a, a Zoom call we had this morning, and I was calling her out on something, and then I did the exact same thing unbeknownst to me. So we lovingly could call each other out, and we're now more aware of the language we're using and how we're using it and, and, and thinking it through before we say something. So that's a gift. It's a gift of love to speak truth in love, but not to point fingers, but just to say, Hey, this is what I see. This is how I feel when you say that. And have you thought about this or that, or, you know, whatever. A lot of the vitriol and dissension we see today within the church I'm talking about, it comes from unhealed hearts and minds. The trauma and losses that we are facing can stir up unhealed things in us. That's why we need to exercise grace to each other, to ourselves, ask a lot of questions to attempt to understand better before we make conclusions. So let's not participate in division or disunity. Let's speak truth and love and build bridges. We are kingdom people first. Above all the issues, politics, whatever we want to talk about, let's be kingdom focused and keep our eyes on Jesus. We do that by obeying, believing his word, obeying it, have faith in what he's done and his faithfulness, We hang on to the hope of that, what he has done and what will happen in the future. And above all else, we love. And remember, what we're going through is not unusual to God. It's just unusual to us, especially, I think, in the Western church where we've lived a comfortable, fairly persecuted, free life. The modern day persecuted church is such a model for us of how to stay in faithfulness. And their passion for Jesus is phenomenal. You know, Google some of that. If you need a shot in the arm of faith, Google some stories of the persecuted church and you will get inspired. Scripture tells us that struggles, the issues, um, are not new, that they were there when Jesus and the disciples walked on the earth. It's just that we have it in a different package. And we know that different iterations of it have continued out through history because we're all sinners in need of grace. It's the story of humanity and God's faithfulness, remember, hinged on his love, So he's on the throne. He's not thrown off by culture and the failure of the church. He's not counting on us to get it all right in order for the kingdom to advance and his plans set before time to come to pass. What he is counting on is that we would follow him, that we would believe him, we would receive his love, that we would wanna be in relationship with him and that because of his love, we would easily have faith and hope and obey his word. Because love, it's easy, easy to obey when we know that we're loved. So what would happen if we all did that as believers? Even if we don't understand what he's doing right now, especially if we don't understand it, even if we're tempted to believe something else or do something else, Uh, Just like he was in the garden. If we count on the Holy Spirit and his word, that's what, by the way, Jesus counted on to um, uh, come back to Satan about when he would try to trick him into subtly following him, uh, which Satan does. He's not an outright just uh, bully or, you know, devil going, look, look at me, look at me. No, he's very subtle in the way he wants to get us to think differently or walk differently. But Jesus used scripture to keep him in the lane. And so let's, you know, follow him and let him restore us back into proper alignment with him. Like he desired in the beginning before Adam and Eve decided they were smarter than God was. Kind of like us, I would say. And as one of my mentors, Larry Crabb, who is now also in our cloud of witnesses in heaven, um, I believe this is a time of God calling us back to first things, meaning our first love of God, and that that's what matters above all else. Um, so no matter what the issues are that you're dealing with personally or corporately or what your church is dealing with, we get to do life and um, do life with Jesus. And he's the author and finisher of our faith. And that's why we can have hope. And then when we deal with the issues of life, if we're running our race well and standing in truth, we won't have so much collateral damage. We won't harm people so much. But And if we do, we can quickly um, come into reconciliation with them. If we stay in our lane of faith, hope, and love, and we study and know his word and obey it and live a life of worship, thanking God, practicing gratefulness, spurring each other on, then we will be able to be overcomers and help others overcome. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Thank you, Miss Jean, for simply profound guidance. Miss Jean was a woman who contended for revival all the years I knew her. Let me tell you this story about her as we close up. I got to visit her, and it turned out to be a couple of days before she passed. And before I left, I prayed for her you know, pray for God to have mercy and her last days here to be peaceful and pain free and all those things. And I finished my what I think is a great prayer, right? And the other woman with me, who um, attended her church, she said, "Hey, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've got to pray for so and so, so and so, and so and so, people that she's been praying for to come to Christ or come back to church." And so she wasn't satisfied to have a prayer for herself. She, I believe, probably went out with her last breath praying for other people. Man, I want to be like that. What a witness of faith, hope and love. So, I'm going to pray that we can all grow into Miss Jean. And Lord, I know we're not going to be exactly like her. How we're going to walk out in faith, hope and love in in our world with our personality is going to be different. Because you made us all uniquely and you want us to be different. And yet that faith, hope, and love unites us and keeps us in your lane. Help us to obey you above all else, because that's where freedom comes. That's where life and life abundant comes. Lord, I pray for those who may be listening or will listen who don't know you as their personal Savior to know you, to know how deeply loved they are right now by you, and that you already paid the price for their sin, and there's nothing that needs to separate them from having a love relationship. They just need to receive what you've done for them. And help us that already know you, know you more, more clearly. Help us return to our first love, so that your agape love can naturally flow through us when we have conversations, when we encounter people, whether it's somebody we just met or somebody we've known for years. Lord, let love have its way and let it begin with me. Thank you, Jesus, that it actually began with you and it flows through us. We love you, we praise you, we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you guys for joining in. And um, man, I'm convicted. And I plan on hopefully following through and studying Psalm 119, meditating on those scriptures, allowing his word to go deeper, allowing Holy Spirit to help me fall in love with his word and then subsequently with him more. And I pray that you do the same. Hey, one of the things that helps me, and maybe it'll help you, so I'll just share, that helps me meditate and keep my eyes on Jesus is worship and, and songs. And one of the ones, two of the ones lately that have come to me or captivate us by Watermark. It's an older song written about nine years ago. It's a beautiful song about who Jesus is and asking Holy Spirit to captivate our hearts and keep our eyes on him. And the other one is by Stephanie Gretzinger. It's a newer one. And it's uh, the title is no one ever cared for me like Jesus. And it is a beautiful, beautiful reminder of his love and care. So have a great week, keeping your eyes on Jesus. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless.